took some time this week to read some headlines. And here are some of this week's headlines. Gunman murders estranged wife. Mother accused of killing her three children. Teacher claims parents knew of her relationship with their son. Should the gorilla or the boy have been saved? Director resigns over transgender directive. Parents leave seven-year-old son in the woods as a punishment. JFK love letter to mistress for sale. Taylor Swift and Calvin Harris reportedly split. Ugliest divorces of all time. That's this week. Headlines. That's the stuff that captures CNN and Fox News attention. We could, of course, create our own set of headlines, couldn't we? Husband and wife in yelling match. Parents and teens slam doors and pound walls. Wife considers divorce because she's had enough. Father checks out in front of television. Spouses under the same roof but can't stand each other. Mom picks up pieces of husband's neglect and indifference. Women are drawn more and more to porn while men dive in even deeper. Verbal and physical abuse on the rise. Men and women put career over family. Adolescence stretches from teenagers to 30-somethings. Wife still mad at husband for something he said three weeks ago. And on and on it could go in our lives. We, we begin today a five-part mini-series called Family Foundations that's placed within our broader series of messages through the book of Ephesians, a series that we've called simply In, because we are in Christ. In a time like our own in which it's, it's very obvious that the world clearly has marriage as defined by God in its crosshairs, and in a time like our own in which our own sinful human hearts do battle with self and pride and ambition, it is difficult, isn't it, to find our way through the mass of confusion, through the mass of rebellion and weakness and sin that so mark our lives, our hearts, and our world. We're hoping that this series, these five messages, will reground us in God's truth, retie us to God's truth in such a way that we are set in a better direction in our own experience. Our, our text for today is going to be specifically verses 31 and 32 of Ephesians 5. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And we're going, to, we're going to get to the preceding verses in the next couple of weeks. But this morning, I want to capture the heart of marriage. I want to capture the meaning and mystery of marriage before we look at some of the practical roles and logistics of marriage. I was thinking this week, and 
came up with, kind of coined a phrase, a pea in the eye blocks the sky. Which you say, what in the world does that mean? A pea in the eye blocks the sky. You take a little pea, a little green pea, you put it up real close to your eye, and you can't see the sky. Something that small can block the big picture of our life. And it seems to me that when we think about marriage, very often it's, it's, it's the little things, it's the small things, it's the lesser things that block our vision, that obscure our vision and our seeing and our sighting of the big thing. That's why I'm starting at the end in these three messages on marriage, and then we'll have some on parenting. I want us to make sure to see the sky first, and then we'll, we'll move to the lesser things. It's, it is important that we see the mystery, that we see the meaning, that we see God's intention for marriage, and then move to the roles in marriage. I am very aware, more aware than I can ever express, how difficult it is for some in this room to hear a message on marriage. I am aware that there are quite a few here who are not married and wish they were. I am aware that there are likely any number of others here who are married and wish they weren't, who are in marriages that are hard and difficult. There may even be some here who are in horror marriages where there's abuse, where there is significant threat uh, to the well-being, emotional, physical well-being of them or their children. I'm very aware of this. Let me just say, if you are in a situation where you are not safe in your marriage, please let somebody know. Don't hide. Don't protect. Don't enable. Please let somebody know. Very aware that as I come to this topic it's not one that can be talked about glibly. It's not one that can be talked about in a way that is insensitive to the present circumstances and challenges and heartaches that people are facing. I'm also very aware that time does not allow uh, me to qualify and to, and to make every application to every person here that I could wish I had time for. So please try to... Try to understand the goal. Our goal is to serve all, uh, though we can't say everything we'd like to say to all this morning. Our hearts and our prayers and our time are available to you uh, as you battle through your own challenges in connection to, to marriage. But I do believe that we can be blessed. All of us can be blessed. I do believe God has a blessing for all of us here this morning as we look at the text that is in front of us today. Let me, let me begin by summarizing these two verses, 31 and 32, with this statement. Marriage, marriage is about Jesus. Marriage is about Jesus who has forever secured us to himself with a never-to-be-broken covenant of love. Marriage is about Jesus, who has forever secured us to himself 
with a never-to-be-broken covenant of love. Marriage is about Jesus. It is about Jesus who has forever secured all of us who love Him, all of us who know Him, all of us who trust Him as Savior and Lord. He has forever secured all of us to Himself with a never-to-be-broken, never-to-be-broken, never-to-be-broken covenant of love. That is the big picture of marriage. That is the sky that I want us to see. That is the heart of the meaning and the mystery of marriage. We're going to look in a couple of weeks at verses 22 through 24, which talk about the role of wife. We're going to look at verses 25 through 30, talks about the role of husband. But verses 31 and 32 are not really about husbands and wives. They're about believers in relationship to Jesus Christ. They're about all of us because marriage is about Jesus who has forever secured us to himself with a never-to-be-broken covenant of love. Let me show that to you from the text. This isn't me making it up. It's right here in the text. Verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is God's design in marriage. And it's virtually a word-for-word quote from Genesis chapter 2, where God just has made Eve, brought Eve to Adam, and this is what he says to them. This is marriage by design. Marriage according to God's purpose and intent. It is marriage as it was meant to be. And we see that it involves three elements, three primary things. First of all, there's a relational adjustment. Marriage leads to a, a relational adjustment. Notice what it says, a man shall leave his father and mother. There is an adjustment in the primary relationship of a man's life when he gets married. He leaves father and mother. That means there's a radical change that happens in relationship to dad, in relationship to mom. It is no longer the primary relationship. It is no longer the relationship to which the man now gives his primary attention. He leaves them. He no longer relates to dad and mom In the same way, there is a relational adjustment between the man and parents. Secondly, there is a covenantal commitment. A covenantal commitment. What does it say? He will hold fast to his wife. He leaves father and mother and holds fast to his wife. The the Greek word that Paul uses here means to glue together. So so marriage is intended by God to be something like human crazy glue, where you just, you've got a man and a woman who are sealed together. They are secured in a binding relationship, an enduring relationship with each other. And what we need to understand is that part of the glue that is to hold the man and his wife together is a covenant. The word hold fast is used, the words hold fast, is used in the scriptures of a covenantal commitment of the ancient people of God in their moments of covenant making before God were told to hold fast to the Lord 
their God. It is a sacred covenant. It is a solemn promise that morally and legally binds a man and a woman together for life. Which is what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. A married woman is bound by law to her husband. Obviously the reverse is true as well. Bound by law. Did you know that in the sight of God, marriage is not just a matter of love, it is a matter of law. It is not just a matter of affection, being or feeling in love, it is a covenant. People often ask, does that piece of paper really matter? Oh yes it does. Oh yes it does. Because it is an expression of the fact that in this moment, on that day, this man and this woman solemnly pledged with God as witness in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the law to be husband and wife. And they say, most of the time, till death do us part. In the mind of God, it is a covenant. It is a vow. It is a pledge. They're going to hold fast to one another. Which is why in Malachi... We read these words. The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make you one with a portion of the spirit in your union to so guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth? For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. It's not good to be called faithless, folks. It means you're a covenant breaker. It means you're a promise breaker. You're treacherous. You're a betrayer. It is to be held Fast marriages, the wedding, the coming together of a man and a woman is a marriage covenant. It's a matter of law. And we, Malachi says, do violence to one another when in fact we break that covenant. Let's be clear. Covenant does not mean perfect behavior. Let's be clear. Covenant keeping doesn't mean there are never times when we might compromise or we might fail in some way. It doesn't mean that that covenant will be perfectly fulfilled by all of us. How many of us, when we got married, those of us who are married, when we got married and, and did our covenant, our vows, how many of us understood what we were saying? How many of us had a clue yeah. How many of us were, were destined to fail in the keeping of those promises because we didn't even know what we were promising? We had no idea how hard it would be. We had no idea the challenges. We had no idea the 10 million different ways that we were going to, in one way or another, violate that covenant or, or, or offend one another or offend that covenant. A covenant does not imply perfect compliance, but it does it does imply enduring commitment. 
A covenant does not suggest perfect love, but it does demand persevering love. A covenant does not suggest that it will erase all the problems and all the failures, but it does promise that it will outlast all the problems and all the failures. A covenant is a morally binding agreement between a man and a woman says, God is our witness right here, right now, and knowing that one day we will answer to God for the promise that we are about to make, we make this promise. We pledge to keep it. We're going to hold fast. We're going to hold fast. We're going to hold fast. Marriage, as defined by God, is first of all, it involves a relational adjustment. It involves a covenantal commitment. And then third, it involves an identity realignment. An identity realignment. What does Paul say in verse 31? And the two shall become one flesh. The two will become one. Marriage is intended to create a profound and deep identity realignment. It is no longer just me and that other person, but it's the two of us together as one. It is a shared life. It is a shared identity. There is a oneness there. There is a unity there. Thus Paul says earlier, husbands, love your wives. How? As your own bodies. As your own selves. For he who loves his wife, what? Loves himself. The two become one. So marriage, as defined by God, is a relational adjustment, a covenant commitment, and an identity realignment. Now, That's the design. Now, what I want you to see, and this is my burden, my heart for this morning. I want you to see God's motivation for this. I want you to see why God created marriage with this design. What was God's motive? What was in his heart? Look at verses 31 and 32 again. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, catch what Paul is saying here. Everyone listen up here. For several verses, Paul is teaching us about human marriage. He is, he is teaching us about the role of husbands and wives. And then he gets to verse 31, and he says, A man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. But then Paul all of a sudden throws us a a massive curveball here. And he says, here is a profound mystery. In other words, here is a truth. I'm about to give you something. I'm about to say something that was hidden up until this point. That's what the word mystery means in the New Testament. It was something that was hidden, something people didn't understand, people didn't get before, but I'm about to reveal it. Those words, Paul is saying, you know the words of verse 31, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one. Those words from Genesis 2, they're not really mostly about human marriage. Those words are about another marriage. And that marriage is the marriage of Jesus Christ and His church. 
Paul, what are you saying, Paul? Paul is saying that way back at the beginning of time, way back in Eden, when God spoke these words to Adam, God wasn't just giving Adam a blueprint for marriage. God was giving Adam the gospel. God was telling Adam something about his love and his son's love for human beings, for the church. And God was creating a human institution and relationship, marriage, that would reveal something about his relationship with us. Please please follow this. George Knight has put it like this. Unbeknownst to Adam and the people of Moses' day, for, for it was a mystery... Marriage was designed by God from the beginning to be a picture or parable of the relationship between Christ and the church. Back when God was planning what marriage would be like, he planned it for this great purpose. It would give a beautiful earthly picture of the relationship that would someday come about between Christ and his church. This was not known to people for many generations, and that's why Paul can call it a mystery. But now in the New Testament age, Paul reveals this mystery, and it is amazing. This means that when Paul wanted to tell the Ephesians about marriage, he did not just hunt around for a helpful analogy and suddenly think that Christ in the church might be a good teaching illustration. No, it was much more fundamental than that. Paul saw that when God designed the original marriage... He already had Christ in the church in mind. This is one of the great purposes in marriage, to picture the relationship between Christ and his redeemed people forever. Human marriage, folks, is not really the real thing. It's only a shadow. It's only a hint. It's only a reflection. It's only a picture of the real thing. We all love pictures, don't we? Especially pictures of babies. Yeah. Got to be the number one type of picture posted on Facebook. Babies. And we love pictures of babies. And we look at them and we, we, we go, ooh, and we go, ah, and we, you know, oh, whatever sounds we make, so cute and all of that. You love pictures of babies, of your children, of your grandchildren, of your nieces, of your nephews. You love pictures of babies. That is, if you're healthy and normal, you love pictures of babies. But when you stop to think about it, it's not really that we love pictures of babies. It's because we love the babies. You see, the picture is just a picture. You know, you know, I've got pictures of Gaylene in my office. It's, it, I look at the pictures not because I love the pictures. I look at the pictures because I love the person pictured. We look at pictures because of the human, the person that those pictures represent. All too often, we in life when it comes to marriage... We get caught up with the picture and forget what it's meant to represent. We get caught up with having a wife or having a husband when in reality, because of Christ, we already have a husband. 
We are already in a relationship that is deep and profound. How, what's this relationship like? Well, let's look at the text. What, what does Paul say? Well, he says in verse 32 that what he's just talked about in verse 31 is about Jesus and the church. So what does he said in verse 31? A man shall leave father and mother. Think about Jesus, the eternal Son of God. There was a relational adjustment that went on in the heart of Jesus in relationship to His Father. He left His Father to come here to earth, to live here among us, to to live the perfect life, to say the perfect things, to do the perfect things, and then to die a perfect sacrifice. He left the Father's side. He left the Father's love. That relationship was adjusted so that on the cross, He was not experiencing the love of the Father, but the wrath of the Father in our place. That was the ultimate relationship adjustment. Now, the Father and Son love each other and have from all eternity, will for all of eternity, but on the cross, but on the cross, what did the Son experience? But my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the husband of our souls, left his Father. And what does it say? What does a man do? He holds fast to his wife. Jesus loves us with a covenanted love. Jesus holds fast to us. Jesus has pledged His eternal love to us. Jesus has entered into a vow, into a covenant with us to make us His own. Here, here the Scriptures, Ezekiel 16, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I, this is God talking to us, I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Hosea 2, verse 14, Therefore, behold, God speaks, I will allure her and bring her, speaking to us as His people, I will bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me husband. And I will make for you a covenant on that day. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I am betrothed to you. I have pledged myself to you. I have entered a covenant with you. I have bound my heart to you forever. There is, there is no, he loves me, he loves me not with Jesus. There is no up and down. There's no fluctuation. There's no inconsistency. There's no question. There's no uncertainty. Jesus is the eternal Son of God who cannot lie, who is the one and only true covenant keeper, the one and only true promise keeper. And He has pledged His love to us. So Jesus, He was willing to do a relational adjustment. He left His Father. 
willing to enter into a covenantal commitment. He's holding fast to us. And he's willing to enter into an identity realignment. Where we read right here in verse 30, we are members of his body. We are one with him. You remember the theme of the first three chapters? It's what? Being in Christ. Being in Christ. Being one with Christ. Being united with Christ. Jesus, in entering into relationship with us, says, I'm willing to leave the Father in order to rescue you. I am willing to hold fast to you in covenantal love. And I am willing and eager to become one with you. We are going to be one forever. We are going to be together forever. And Paul's saying, that's what marriage is about. That's what leaving father and mother, holding fast to wife, becoming one flesh, is really meant to be about. Proclaiming the love of Christ. Proclaiming the steadfast love of Christ. Proclaiming the everlasting goodness of Christ. For all of us. For all of us. What does it mean? Can I suggest that this teaching about marriage means that if we are married, our marriage is not primarily about us. It is about the honor and the glory of Christ. You know, the most critical question we all need to ask about our marriages is not, am I happy? So much as, does my marriage reflect the love of Christ for His church? The primary goal we should have in marriage is not our own personal fulfillment. The primary goal we should have in marriage is to proclaim the truth about the love of Jesus in how we live, how we relate. That which I need to ask of my own heart as a husband is this. Is the way that I love, is the way that I forgive, is the way that I am faithful, is the way that I am persevering, is the way that I am selfless, accurately reflecting the selfless, persevering, loving, forgiving love of Jesus Christ. If marriage is made to be a picture of Christ and His love for the church, then my goal in marriage should should be to be an accurate picture of Christ and His love for the church. There is that for those of us who are married. But there is this for everyone. And I, I hesitate as a married person to say this. But I, I say it respectfully. I, I, I say it humbly. I say it with a heart of love. What, what God's precious word says to us Everyone here, everyone here, every single person who knows and loves Jesus, what God's Word says to us is that in the deepest, most profound and holy and soul-satisfying way, everyone here who loves Jesus is married. Is married. 
is married. I, I offer that to you not, not as, a, as a, an exhortation or a correction for those who are struggling with bereavement or, or singleness. I offer it as a reality. I offer it as a promise. I offer it as God's abiding truth that you can rest in and find joy in. Dear ones, there is a man. There is a real man. The eternal Son of God made flesh who has loved you from before time. There is, there is a man. He is a true man who is the king of all the realms of men and angels. And that man, that perfect man, left his father, has made himself hold fast to you, and he has covenanted to make you one with him forever. There, there is a man, a perfect man, to whom you are married throughout all life and through all the endless ages of eternity. And he will hold you fast to himself. And he will hold you tight. When, you, when, when you're lonely, he will hold you fast. He will. When you're forsaken, He will hold you fast. And when you are rejected, He will hold you fast. When you are unsure of who you are and whose you are, He will hold you fast. When you're bereaved and grieving, He will hold you fast. And when you're abandoned or abused, He will hold you fast. And when you have sinned and been unfaithful to Him, He will hold you fast. And when the ache is deep and when the night is dark, He will hold you fast. When your spouse fails and when he neglects or she breaks your heart, He will hold you fast. And when your spouse gets sick or even dies, He will hold you fast. And when your heart screams in pain and sorrow, He will hold you fast. And when you weep and when you fear and when you despair, He will hold you fast. For you are His and you are His forever. You are His forever. He will hold you fast. He will hold you fast. This is what marriage is really all about. Does it motivate us to pray toward and work toward and live toward and give toward better marriages? Yes, because in so doing we honor Jesus who it's meant to represent. But at the end of the day, we live in a broken world with often broken hearts and dashed dreams, crushed hopes. And we need to know He will hold us fast in it all. May it be that our marriage to Jesus will be at the end of the day for all of us, for even those who are in happy marriages must deal with the reality sooner or later Something will devastate the happiness. 
if not death itself. For many of us, for most of us, at some point or another, this is the truth that will have to secure us. We are married to Jesus, and He will hold us fast. Let's pray.